Good morning, ladies, and a special shout out to all you ladies listening over podcast. It is a privilege to come before you to share the word of God. It is an encouragement to me that you are prioritizing hearing the word. I recognize that there are so many things vying for our time, so I'm glad you've chosen the better thing. Let's take a moment to pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, this day you made. Thank you that we have the freedom to gather under your word and share your word. I praise you for your word, that you are not silent, but that you speak to us through your word, that it is living and active. Father, would you give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that are open and inclined to abiding in your word. Would you help me to speak clearly from your word today, that what I share with the women today comes from you. Let me not add to your word, Lord, and if in foolishness I do, let those words fall away and only your words stick in the heart and minds of these dear women. Lord, I need you. Fill me with your spirit and speak through me today. I am trusting you to do a good work in and through my preparations and that your word would not return void. Would you please bless each woman listening, whether she is here in person or listening at home on the podcast. May your word build us up to be women who stand firm in a hostile world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open our Bibles to today's passage. We'll be looking at 1 Peter 1, 6 through 12. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, the perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time in the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Do you hear echoes of Jesus' words to the followers from the book of Matthew? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, 10-12. Peter is reminding the church of Jesus' teachings. Remember, Peter has endured suffering himself. He witnessed the murder of his beloved friend Jesus, who is persecuted for his faith and imprisoned. Peter is familiar with trials, but he knows how to stand firm when things get hard. When he was in prison for preaching the gospel and appeared before the high council, this is what he said. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, 10 through 12. Peter is a man who knows where hope can be found. Ladies, to stand firm in hard times, we need hope. Today's lesson is broken up into three sections. First, verses 6 through 7, how do we stand firm in trials? Second, verses 8 through 9, what fuels our hope in trial? Third, verses 10 through 12, why our hope is secure? Let's look at our text in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What is Peter telling the church to rejoice in? We are to rejoice in what he has already described to us in verses 3 and 4. God's great mercy. We are born again to a living hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we are being guarded by God's power. That we have salvation in Christ. We can endure difficult times by holding on to the promise of the rich inheritance we have kept for us in heaven that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and placing our hope in eternity with God. Peter reminds us that we can endure hard things because it is only for a little while. Our trials are temporary. When Peter says a little while, this is in comparison to eternity, not like next week or even next year. The little while is on God's timeline, for he knows the beginning from the end and holds time in his hands. Let's keep in mind God's use of time in re- through, and waiting through redemption history. Abraham waited 40 years for his promised son. God's chosen people waited 400 years between the words of the prophet Malachi and the birth of King Jesus. For those 400 years, God was silent. Praise him that he speaks to us today through his holy word. Now let's think back on the context of our text. Peter affirms the church is going through various trials. Like us, the early church faced a variety of challenges. We learned last week from Melissa's teaching that the church is in exile. They are sojourners in a new land, away from everything they have known. They are outsiders, outcast. They are different. And they are treated as such by the society they are now a part of. In the context of the book of 1 Peter, when we discuss trials and suffering, there is an acute focus on persecution. As Christians, we will face hostility from the world. Peter is giving us words of hope and encouragement to stand firm. From the beginning, God's chosen people have faced persecution. The Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians. Under the rule of Antiochus, there was persecution of the Jews from forcing them to participate in activities that went against their laws, like exercising naked, the banning of the Sabbath, and destroying their scrolls. To the Roman rule, who were responsible for the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem, excessive taxation, political corruption, and the murder of Jesus. To the martyrs of the early church who were imprisoned, stoned, and crucified for the proclamation of the gospel. To us today who are mocked and scorned for standing for biblical truth. Now let's keep in mind how difficult these circumstances were for the dispersion. They are living in a foreign land, on the run because they are reviled for their faith. And now they find themselves in a new cultural context where they are also rejected. Most have left family, friends, and possessions behind to start over in a new land. 
If you have ever made, moved a great geographical distance, you may have experienced some of these challenges they faced, like not knowing the customs or speaking the language, but not only that, they are also hated for their faith. A friend of mine recently shared her experience of immigrating to Canada. She lived in Indonesia, but is of Chinese descent. There is a history of hatred of the Chinese people by the Indonesians. She remembers one night when a group came to her village to eradicate the village of Chinese people. Their family was protected and survived that night. Out of fear for their lives and the lives of their small children, they applied for refugee status in Australia, to which they were told they would be welcomed in Canada. They had never even heard of Canada. She spoke little English and had never experienced cold weather, let alone snow. In God's kindness, he brought them safely to Canada where she heard the gospel and came to believe. God uses hard things for good. That was 20 years ago, and this friend is still working hard to bring her mother over to Canada. This friend can relate to the experience of the dispersion in a way that I cannot. She is living out the biblical teaching of waiting on God in patience. These trials have required her to have steadfast faith. Hard things like this are grievous. Ladies, we might sometimes feel that these stories in the Bible are old and don't fit in today's cultural context, but friend, they do. In the West, we have had the privilege of peace for a long time. But as our society drifts further and further into rebellion against God, we will face persecution. For now, that might look like mocking from a neighbor, rejection by an unbelieving family member, or an, or an overreaching law implemented by the government like Bill C-4. The circumstances are the, of the early church are heavy and weighty. They are in a season of suffering. And yet, Peter reminds them to rejoice. We can endure present suffering by focusing on our future hope, salvation. Peter is teaching the church to have an eternal mindset. Ladies, just like the early church, we need to hear Peter's words and be ready to face hostility towards the gospel. We need to be equipped to stand firm in a hostile world. How do we do that? By investing in our relationship with Jesus, who has the words of eternal life. This is how we stand firm in a hostile world, by keeping our eyes fixed on the promises of God, of a new heaven and a new earth, his dwelling place, and that we will dwell with him because Christ has prepared a place for us there. Persecution can draw us into a deeper relationship with Christ as we turn to him in our heartache and in our pain. This has been true for me. When I came to faith, it cost me my best friend of 20 years, but God fulfilled his promises and drew near to me with his presence. He also provided me with true friendships with sisters in Christ who have walked with me through deep heartaches. Sister, if you are facing rejection from an unbelieving friend, Remember, you have eternal fellowship with the creator of heaven and earth. If you're in a difficult marriage to an unbeliever, God promises to be the husband to the husbandless. If you're facing hostility from family, remember you are adopted into his family. You are a daughter of the king. Remain faithful in obedience to the call of Christ, and he will supply you with grace for you to endure your trials and stand firm. Let's move on to verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Peter goes on to explain the reason for our trials. Why do we face trials? Why is life filled with so many challenges? So that our faith can be made real and we can glorify God and bear his image to a hurting world. We face trials to test our faith. Testing serves two purposes. First, to prove that our faith is genuine. Second, to purify us. God tests us to ensure our faith is real. Trials also prove our faith to be genuine. They prove our faith is real. They prove that we are the genuine, real deal believer and that we belong to him, that our identity is in Christ. We are his image bearers. We are sealed with his Holy Spirit. This proves that we belong to him. Have you ever gone to a Chinese flea market and been tempted to buy a knockoff bag? Ladies, I have a purse thing. <laughs> Bags are my thing. If Stephen asks me, what do you want for your birthday? Chances are, I'll say a purse. <laughs> my in-laws lived in China when we were in our early 20s, and we had the opportunity to visit. We went to a huge market, and there are coach purses everywhere. I was pumped. At that point, I could never afford a coach purse on my budget. So I was ecstatic to buy a cheap knockoff. It looked the same. All that was missing was the designer's label on the inside. I was so happy to buy it and used it. Well, let me tell you, in a month, it had fallen apart. It was not the same. Once I had been working for several years, I could finally afford a real coach purse. 17 years later, it's still in great condition. Ladies, let me ask you, is our faith real or is it a counterfeit faith? Do you have your marker's imprint on your heart? Are you sealed by his Holy Spirit? Do you belong to him? Who do you cry out to when you are under fire? Are you willingly submitting to the testing or running from it and denying? Faith is either real and growing or it is stagnating and dying off. Are we dead inside? Are we whitewashed tombs? Are we bearing the fruit of faith? Are you counterfeit or are you real? If you search your heart and find your allegiances are elsewhere, there is hope. The gospel is for you. All you need to do is turn to God and ask him to change your heart. Sister, do you have doubts? Are you struggling with the assurance of your salvation? Friend, I've been there. Turn to Jesus in prayer. Rest in his finished work on the cross. Talk to a pastor's wife, an elder's wife, or a trusted friend. Don't stay in that place of doubt. Ladies, life is hard. God may not change our circumstances, but he will change our hearts by his Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis said, God, who foresaw your tribulation, has specially armed you to go through it, not without pain, but without stain. St. Augustine de Hippo said, trials and tribulations offer us a chance to make reparation for our past faults and sins. On such occasions, the Lord comes to us like a physician to heal the wounds left by our sins. Tribulation is the divine medicine. Trials are an opportunity to bring our hearts before God. Suffering has purpose. Sister, our faith is precious. It is not th something we should neglect or take for granted. Peter reminds us it is more precious than gold, which in this period of time was the highest currency. Our faith is of great value. It is our treasure. Hold on to it. It is the one thing we can count on to not perish. It will never be taken from us. It will not spoil. Think of this example of a stress test that an airplane goes through. Chickens are thrown into the propellers of the engines 
to ensure that the aircraft can endure its flight if a bird is caught up in the engine. This test is going to damage the plane, it's going to hurt, it'll likely damage the engine, but this is done to ensure the survival and lives of the passengers, not of the aircraft. Much like the passengers who are being kept, God tests our faith to ensure that we will have spiritual life rather than death, to ensure our safe arrival to our heavenly home where he will heal any wounds we have incurred along the way. Will our faith withstand under pressure? Will it continue to operate? Ladies, is our faith a deep abiding faith with roots that can sustain a storm? Or is it delicate, shallow, and will be swept away by the slightest breeze? We need to prepare for this storm. It will come. Trials push us towards God. One of my favorite Charles Spurgeon quotes is, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Ladies, if gold is tested by fire, so will our faith be, given that it is of even more value. Do you know what the purpose of testing gold by fire is? Gold comes from ore, which is rock filled with gold and other minerals. The goldsmith puts the ore under fire to burn off all the impurities so that he is left with pure, uncontaminated gold. God puts us under the heat of trials to purify us, to reveal our sin. This is the image of our sanctification. Trials reveal our hearts, our idols, where our trust is. In John Piper's book, Coronavirus in Christ, he states, the reason God exposes us to such losses is to rouse us to rely on Christ. Or to put it another way, the reason he makes calamity the occasion for offering Christ to the world is that the supreme, all-satisfying greatness of Christ shines more brightly when Christ sustains joy in suffering. This purification is necessary because the result is a strength in faith that brings glory to God. Because we have a strength in faith, we're able to praise God in our trials. We glorify him in our responses that reflect his image and we bring honor to his name and how we live, abiding in him through the testing. This kind of resurrection living is laying crowns at Jesus' feet. Jesus will return again and he will reveal himself to all the world. And we will share it in fellowship with him. At this point, we will enjoy our inheritance as children of God and experience praise, glory, and honor. Moving along to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. These believers are like us, post-resurrection converts. They did not encounter Jesus during his time of personal ministry, but came to faith through the preaching of the gospel. Peter is reminding them that like us, their hope is fueled by their love for Christ. Their belief in Christ without seeing him is a fulfillment of Jesus' words to doubting Thomas. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John 24, 29. Our hope and our joy is fueled by our love for Christ. What does loving Jesus look like? It is having personal relationship with him and worshiping him for who he says he is, the Son of God. It is trusting him at his word. Like any relationship, love is displayed by investing time in the relationship. 
We do that by reading his word, meditating on it, singing songs of praise and thanksgiving, praying to him, and by worshiping him corporately. Ladies, our hope and our joys are fueled by our love for Christ. We believe and worship him, though we have not seen him, just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Setting our minds on the unseen cultivates an eternal mindset. This fuels our hope and helps us to stand firm in a hostile world. In verse 9, Peter says, This will result in obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As a result of your genuine, pure faith, you will receive the salvation of your soul, eternal life. This is our future hope, that we'll be saved from God's wrath through Christ at the final judgment. Peter is asking the believers to press into their faith, to endure their suffering, focusing on what's coming in eternity with God. This is our reward. This is our treasure. Now let's look at our last section. Remember the words Peter spoke to the council of the Sadducees after he and John were arrested for proclaiming the gospel? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 in verse 10, he says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Prophets foretold of these events for us for this moment in time. This was to give us a certain hope in the promise as we see its fulfillment. This shows us that God is sovereign over this moment in time, just as he has been since the beginning of time. What hope that is for us, that God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is an anchor for our souls. And in verse 11, he continues, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What are the subsequent glories? What did the prophets prophesy? Peter is referring us back to the Old Testament scriptures. They are filled with examples of Christ's future suffering and glories. For example, Joseph's story in the Old Testament is an archetype of Christ's suffering. We see God use what Joseph's brothers meant for evil and his suffering used for good, for the preservation of God's chosen people, the Israelites. The prophets from Moses to Malachi point to Christ. Some are foreshadowing, like Moses' example of an intercessor, while others, like in the book of Isaiah, give specific examples of Christ's suffering. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, 52.14. And 53-5, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was as despised, and we deemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our inequities. Finally, in verse 12, Peter says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, 
and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There are examples throughout the books of Acts of the gospel being preached. We have already looked at one today in Acts 4. Did you catch how Peter finishes off this passage? Things into which angels long to look. The NIV says it this way, It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. What do the angels long to look at? What are they eagerly watching happen? Not the Super Bowl, not the Grammys, not the Olympics, not the Academy Awards. They are eagerly watching the preaching of the word. Shouldn't this make us take note? We too should be eagerly sitting under the preaching of the word. This gives me chills. There is hope here. The angels are taking note of our hearing of the word, the preaching and teaching of the truth. They long to witness the salvation of our souls. Praise God. Take heart, sister. The bad times will come, but these promises will help us to stand firm when they do. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelations 21, 3-4. Ladies, to stand firm in hard times, we need our hope to be fixed on Jesus. To close, I want to share a poem by Martha Snell Nicholson. The Thorn. I stood a mendicant of God before his royal throne and begged him for one priceless gift, which I could call my own. I took the gift from out his hand, but as I would depart, I cried, but Lord, this is a thorn, and it has pierced my heart. This is a strange, a hurtful gift, which thou hast given me. He said, my child, I give good gifts. I gave my best to thee. I took it home, and though at first the cruel thorn hurt sore, as long years passed, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned he never gives a thorn without his added grace. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides his face. Will you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we praise your name. Help us, Father, to cultivate an eternal mindset. Help us to love your word and long to look at it the way the angels do. I praise these things in your name. Amen.